Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Death Proof. <laughs> well, Pam, which way are you going? Left or right? Right. Ah, uh, that's too bad. Hi. Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left too, and if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. This is an American black comedy slasher exploitation film homage. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. The cast includes John Ruth the Hangman, Six Horse Judy, Ahsoka Tano, Tina Francesco, Karen Wilson, Detective Mia Sumners, Ramona Flowers, Mr. Brown, Sergeant Donnie Donowitz, Private First Class Omar Omar. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on YouTube as well. Did you pay for it? This is, I'm not, I did. I'm not trying to rat you out, but... Uh, I did pay for it. <laughs> I also paid uh, for it. And then after... I paid for it. I was going back to like rewatch some scenes. I saw that someone has just uploaded the whole thing on YouTube. Oh, wow. They haven't been taken down yet? No, it's been there for three years, apparently. What, what was it? Was it the same length as the original? Yes. Oh, the wow. The runtime is in the title of the video. It's crazy. So okay. I use that to review so I didn't have to rent the movie again. Uh, so I guess if you're listening to this and you want to watch this movie, you might be able to potentially, allegedly, do it for free on YouTube, maybe. <laughs> there you um, go. Or you can pay just a few bucks to watch it like we did. Uh, before we begin our analysis of this film, we will succinctly summarize the events in our special 60-second synopsis. If you'd like to skip the synopsis, just scrub ahead 60 seconds right now. DJ Jungle Julia Lukai and her two friends, Shauna and Arlene, are enjoying a night out in Austin, Texas. On her radio show that morning, Julia announced a challenge. If anyone buys Arlene a drink, calls her butterfly, and recites a specific poem, Arlene will give that person a lap dance. Stuntman Mike, a washed-up Hollywood stunt driver, claims the lap dance from Arlene. As everyone goes their separate ways, Mike explains his car is death-proof, meaning no matter what he does in it, he will not die. In his car, he collides head-on with Jungle Julia and her friends, murdering them. He and his car survive. 14 months later, Mike is in Lebanon, Tennessee. Zoe Bell, a Kiwi stuntwoman, has always wanted to drive a 1970 Dodge Challenger, and there happens to be one available nearby. Zoe and Kim, who's also a stuntwoman, decide to play a dangerous game called Ship's Mast. Their friend Abernathy tags along. While Zoe is laying on the hood of the Challenger, stuntman Mike appears like a waking nightmare, ramming and swiping at their car with his, but soon the tables are turned. The three women chase Mike through the highways of Lebanon. Eventually, they pull him from the car and beat him to death. The end. There you have it. The events of Death Proof recapped succinctly. We'll begin our conversation about this film by going over our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Death Proof? Um, I liked all the characters. They were distinct and complicated without really being that deep. Uh, my favorite is definitely Stuntman Mike. He's a really fun movie-themed movie monster. Tarantino's dialogue is very captivating, as always. The car chase at the end is really cool and tense, and I think the whole movie kind of has this interesting structure to it. What about you? The stunts were incredible. Oh, yeah. Really blew me away, the stunt work, especially from Zoe Bell. Great cinematography, as we come to expect from Tarantino. 
equally great dialogue as we expect from Tarantino and all of his work. I love the soundtrack. This is another example of Tarantino being able to pick music that seems like comes from his own collection that he loves. Um, you know, I read a little bit about the records in the jukebox actually being his. So oh, wow. um, you you actually yeah. So you know, it comes through the like his love for this era of music. Uh, I think that's really cool. I love the setting. Finally, you know, another movie that doesn't take place in New York or L.A. So uh, we love <laughs> Austin, Texas, and and Lebanon, still in America. Tennessee. Yes, and in America, which it always should be. That's where all that's where movies take place. You know. Uh, <laughs> canonically <laughs> and um kurt russell is creepy when he needs to be and he's a total wuss when we want him to be i i loved his character through through the way he's like in my book he's just got such a perfect voice that is like sets him apart so i loved his performance and i think this movie does succeed in what it sets out to do uh you know tarantino had a vision for what grindhouse would be and i think he got what he was aiming for. If I'm understanding what exploitation films are, uh, we can kind of talk about that uh, more in depth. Now let's talk about what we didn't like about death proof. Joey, what are your cons? I'm going to say that this isn't really a movie. (laughs) 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 There's basically no third act. It feels like half of a movie or maybe a really long screen test for a car chase. There's just not enough. But I was also tired of what I got, so I don't want it to be longer. <laughs> I was not impressed with Zoe Bell's acting. Uh, she, she was an incredible stunt woman. Uh, she deserves all the praise she gets. But she was in front of the camera specifically saying lines, did not deliver them in a way that I found convincing. <laughs> and honestly, I felt like it was kind of boring as a movie. What about you? So kind of going off of what I was saying about this movie setting out to do what it or accomplishing what it set out to do. I think this movie unironically pays homage to exploitation films and it titillates its audience without reflecting on what that means or what it's doing. There's way too much feet in this movie. <laughs> this is definitely like one of my favorite things about, or I, 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 let me backtrack. Not my favorite thing, but something that I laughed at was the title card that says that this movie was directed by Quentin Tarantino is placed on a shot of feet. It's just feet. And it says, a film by Quentin Tarantino. It's like, wow, so on the nose. You know, like, (laughs) Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was probably the first time where I was like, okay, Tarantino is just not even hiding it anymore. Right. But it turns out that I had missed when in 2007, (laughs) he was not being shy at all about how much he loves feet. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It's also the butts, you know, it's also the shots of the law, like going up the legs. This movie indulges in that style of film, the exploitation films where they want you to get turned on and be horny while you're watching the movie. And I, it doesn't do much to subvert that. It just does it. And it's like, Hey, that's what we're doing. Uh, which I, I find disappointing. I also agree with you that it's, it's, I'm tired at the end of this. It was longer than I, it needed to be. A lot of the dialogue, while seeming to have potential while you're watching it, in retrospect, was totally unnecessary and added nothing. 
there's stuff in there that I like, but didn't necessarily need to have to tell this story or whatever you want to call this. If it's if it's not an actual story, I mean, that, so. I mean that that's Tarantino though. Like he always has those little dialogue like bits where it's like it's it's supposed to inf- like reinforce the characters, right? But as as if there are real people talking about things in their world. So uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say exactly. I do think there was there was like three or four specific parts that I'm like, this is not helping anything you know this is this is just worthless but there are other parts that were completely extraneous to the film that i also really enjoyed and i thought that like worked well to establish our characters better and give them like some sort of grounding i agree tarantino generally walks that line with precision and i think this one was just sloppy there's a lot of stuff in there where again it just didn't matter and even in the moment where you're like hoping for the movie it was like, uh, am I engaged or not in this? Right. So, uh, you know, it, this is an interesting movie. So let, let's jump into the uh, the overall here. And uh, I want to kind of have a direct approach as we begin our analysis here. I'm going to say, uh, ask the question, what is this movie about? And I'm going to say it's quite simple. This movie is about how stunt people are insane. <laughs> Stuntman Mike <laughs> drives the action by stalking beautiful women and killing them with his car. Why does he do this? Because he's a stuntman and stunt people are insane. Okay. okay. Like I said, okay. more specifically, <laughs> well, I guesstimate it's a sex thing. That's the only way I can figure it. High velocity impact, <laughs> twisted metal, busted glass, all four souls taken at exactly the same time. Probably the only way that diabolical degenerate can shoot his goo. <laughs> and it's like the saying goes. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a car is a good guy with a car. Amen, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Or in this case, three good women with a car. Zoe Bell and Kim Mathis are stunt women who are deranged enough to go toe-to-toe with stuntman Mike. And this situation brings to mind another trite cliche. Never bring a car to a gunfight. What about the other way around? (laughs) Never bring a gun to a car fight. (laughs) Well, I think in this case, we saw an example that the person with the gun is in a better situation. Kim keeps that thing on her and blasts stuntman Mike in the shoulder. He cries like a baby and quickly goes from hunter to hunted. When the women catch up to him, they beat him to a pulp and eventually kill him, proving to the audience that all stunt people, men and women, are completely unhinged. Yeah, but it's Rosie Dawson's foot. Uh, that that smashes his head in you know it does the filing boat and she's like a isn't she in the makeup department or something she's a, she is and she's a single mother as well yeah. so, so she, I think, but she's not um she's not a stunt woman but she ultimately d- delivers the killing blow by foot i would i would, I'd like to again <laughs> emphasize i i think she proved that she could hang with the stunt women she you know she became a pseudo stunt woman that day when she agreed to uh join them for their little uh escapade there um i, am I do kind i of- do like this theory though because i was wondering why does why does something might, might kill people and you're saying that he's just insane not all some people are insane yeah i you know i i think i sign on to that i endorse that that reading of this movie i think it you stunt people i i like Obviously, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I do think you have to be a little bit off to be well, what, a stunt person. Stuntman Mike says, right? He's like, you always find somebody crazy enough to throw themselves down a flight of stairs. You know, like it, it's true. There is there is a certain thing that's uh, that's loose. You know, I always think about this. I, I don't even know what show this was. It was some. Sh- I think it was called Joey, which was like a spinoff show from Friends. 
that's centered around Matt LeBlanc's uh, That was real? Yeah. And then he, he it, I remember watching one episode, and that one episode, Joey gets a stuntman, and he's training him on how to be like Joey so that he'll be more like that. And he says, when you, when you throw yourself down the stairs, don't put your hands in front of your head to protect it because that's not what joey would do uh, and he's like well isn't that going to like you know crack over my skull and joey says no it's protected by the brain <laughs> yes yeah, so you, it, it, did that work did he convince him i i think so and then, the, and then that guy had to you know got seriously injured or something and then that was some lesson that joey had to learn about taking care of other people or something i don't know it, it was a stupid show a stupid episode, but I always think about protecting the brain with my skull, with my skull with my brain. Well, it uh, you know it calls to mind another famous movie stuntman, which was uh, Damien Dr- uh, Drake Jr. from Looney Tunes Back in Action, portrayed oh, wow. by Brendan Fraser. And boy, <laughs> that guy was loony as well. So um, I you know I think this is something that pervades kind of throughout all of uh, uh throughout all of hollywood as far as uh stuntmen go uh but you know kind of reeling it back into this movie specifically this movie is a slasher movie with an unconventional monster right instead of stabbing or strangling his victims uh kurt russell or stuntman mike is out here killing them with his death proof car and i think that's pretty creative the movie basically happens twice in the first half the women are just victims we get to know them so that we can feel something when we watch them violently die and in the second half the women are heroes we get to know them so we understand how and why they're able to get revenge on our slasher monster it may not be complicated or even that thought-provoking but it seems to work uh in my opinion tarantino set out to make an exploitation film style slasher and i think he succeeded in making that i don't think he succeeds in creating anything much deeper than that conceptually yeah i mean this whole movie centers around one they count them one good idea (laughs) (laughs) tarantino would would probably argue uh, that there's at least three good ideas uh you know and the other two ideas are left foot and right foot yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and i think it's disappointing that this movie kind of doesn't do more because it seems to float around this idea of the objectification of women the camera clearly objectifies them, but the women live their lives in a way that transcends this objectification. I don't feel like it's portrayed in some sort of stark contrast, but if you think about it and you engage with the things these women say, they're clearly more than just you know sexy women to be oogled at, right? They have lives. They are people. Jungle Julia is a self-made celebrity in Austin hustling to make it. Arlene sets boundaries in her relationship that she demands to have respected, and she takes ownership of her sexuality, something that's obviously sought after, but she uses that when she wants to, to, you know, uh, because she takes ownership of it. Abernathy is an independent woman that doesn't let her status as a single mother hold her back. Zoe Bell is a talented stunt woman capable of incredible stunts. Kim Mathis is also a talented stunt woman who refuses to be a victim or to live in fear. She recognizes her reality for what it is and she adapts to it by carrying a gun. (laughs) These women are fully developed people 
And they're more than just a pair of butt cheeks hovering above two bare feet. There's clearly something here. But I feel like the movie doesn't capitalize on it. Having the stunt women kill stuntman Mike is great, but I don't really see a direct rejection of the objectification that this film capitalizes on to titillate its audience. Yes, I think you're right. I like, And I think it's to the point where the ending, to me, is more about the passing of the torch from the traditional male hero to the female heroine, right? The, the idea that Stuntman Mike used to be, a, you know, the, the dark shadow, you might say, of heroes from uh, the silver screens, both big and small. And now he's this washed up serial killer, right, that's taking his... Uh, skills to the next level to you know kill people and now the next generation is coming in of you know of talented people but these talented people are not do not look like or act like stuntman mike they have their own set of priorities and they are you know uh they happen to be women right so from that perspective it's like this it is this like changing of the guard type thing and i'm reminded of this quote which i don't apparently is uh use so much that doesn't really have an original author, but when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Uh, the idea that like you, when you are in this position of, you know, that you've always felt like you've had, right, regardless of whether you deserve it or not, as soon as uh, somebody demands or wishes to also occupy that same space, you feel like you're being pushed out, um, even if all they're doing is asking for something that's equal to what you have. It makes perfect sense, I think, and it's an interesting thing to to it's an interesting thing to contemplate, uh, especially because I think the gut reaction when somebody uh, who doesn't who didn't have the same privilege as you starts occupying the same space as you is to be afraid to act in to lash out right and to. Uh, you know, which is, I think, what Stuntman Mike is embodying in a big way, right? He's he's lost something that he used to value, and now he's sort of taking it out on the world um, like that. But there's nothing about the, there's nothing about how these people are women necessarily, uh, like defying that expectation. You know, every slasher movie ends the same way, you know, sort of, which is that the pure virgin girl defeats the evil slasher monster, you know? And that's not subverted here. Not really, right? All we've got here is some badass women that, also, that are sort of the next generation of what Stuntman Mike was, uh, taking what was his for themselves. <laughs> you know, it's not... It, it, whatever, like, idea of how women are objectified and how they're, you know, taking the power back is sort of lost on this idea when you focus it so much on their, when you focus on the similarities between our heroes and villain. That makes sense? Yeah, I, I guess. Like, I think it's one of those things where because it makes so much sense to, because your genders are completely opposite here. It's like we only have women that are not, our serial killer. So you're like, clearly this has to be saying something about gender, but it just doesn't come across very strongly. And I feel like having to connect those dots on behalf of the movie is takes more effort than it should. I think there is no, I think there's an attempt there, right? There is something there about women um, 
being like like standing up for themselves or like not being a victim of objectification and for them to uh, defy the expectations of an exploitation film. But you're right that it's not done in a way that's like satisfying. And it's and it's not there's not enough of that dynamic at play here, you know? All we've got here is a bunch of, you know, strong independent women that get murdered and then a bunch of strong independent women that do the murdering. It it's not clear that like like that they've overcome people like something like in the past. Like he's a representation of the industry or you know their own struggle or anything like that, right? It's simply that they're they're different people. The the fact that they are women is something, <laughs> but it's not enough because it doesn't matter that they're women. You know what I mean? If they were does the movie really change that much if they're if the genders are swapped you know right no i totally agree because again uh, i'll i'll quote community here i'll, I'll give you a jeff winger truth i love which jeff, is, jeff winger truths he states kind. that um men are monsters who crave young flesh the end <laughs> right and this movie is you know it, it kind of echoes that Obviously, stuntman Mike is hunting down these women because they're beautiful. There's like this kind of voyeurism of his photography where he's he's stalking them and he wants them to know that he's after them too. He always pulls up on them and then peels off in a way that <laughs> lets them know that he was there, right? right? So they recognize his car later on. That's like a whole part of it. But we also get these guys who are kind of drooling over Jungle Julia and all of her friends uh, when they're out at the bar. And they're over, at, you just like Stuntman Mike makes his schemes so that he can get his, his uh, uh, rocks off with his murders. These guys are scheming on how to get the girls drunk so that they'll let them spend the night. And again, this is a situation where I thought they were going to set something up where it's like Stuntman Mike isn't that different from men, you know, how mm. the way they pursue women, but nothing comes of it. There, there's no message there. It's just, yeah, these guys are also trying to sleep with them or are also trying to, I guess they're after them because they're men who are horny for women. Just like someone Mike in a way is also horny for women. The same is true for Jasper, the owner of the 1970, you know, um, challenger, right? He like, he is shown as like sort of this creepy, you know, backwater um, Tennessean and but there's no resolution to that 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 part of the story right I mean him being left with Lee at the end there is never like there's no there's there's no yeah there's there's no resolution there there's no like consequence for that right you don't know how they interact or what that interaction is like and there's not really a clear comparison between him who is supposed to be like this you know stereotypically creepy guy and Mike in what he's doing. But you're right that there is a parallel there and you could draw it if you wanted to or maybe don't draw it. Maybe say there is a difference, right? But uh, no, uh, I, I got nothing here. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just kind of left My out. mouth is dry with, with lack of content. Yeah, it doesn't lead to anything super satisfying at the end of this. Although I will say what this movie does succeed in is stunts and practical effects. 
The crash where the four girls died was horrible in a great way. One of those things, it's the, it is literally the stereotypical example of something that's terrible you can't look away from, which is a car wreck. And <laughs> Yeah, they it, showed it four it times. <laughs> yes, and you got to see it from multiple angles, each one kind of focusing on the demise of each one of them. I thought it was great, and it was great because you could also tell it was fake. Like It was... It was Practical effects. You really saw a wobbly leg flapping around on the yeah, pavement. Yeah, yeah. And you saw a ragdoll flying through the, the uh, windshield. All of that I thought was fantastic. Zoe's Be- Zoe Bell's car hood stunts looked incredibly dangerous. The, the way the cars got more and more beat up and dented and scratched made everything feel real. In this, what I'm dubbing the summer of 2023 is the summer of practical effects. I've really come to appreciate the timelessness of actually doing things instead of using computers. And this movie is a great example of how simply doing real stunts can turn something that is overly simplistic into something really impressive. Yeah, this is something that Tarantino also mentioned when he was making this film is that he doesn't understand why you would ever make a CGI car chase, right? He thinks that it, it removes all of the, the, the suspense from it. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, this is a gratuitous, it's a very long car chase. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's, it's very elaborate. Um, and yeah, I think, I, think, yeah, I think you're totally right. It looks totally great. It's, you know, this movie feels like it was kind of a labor of love. Like Tarantino knows what he likes and, and at least in this situation, he kind of didn't care if other people liked it, or maybe he was unaware that other people weren't going to like it because <laughs> he just indulges in these long car chases, these long scenes where there's they're talking, uh, you know, in Tarantino style. Um, it feels like genuine artistic expression from Tarantino, and it's hard for me to hate that. You know, as much That's as I hate sad. all the feet. <laughs> Wait, why is that sad? I don't think this movie's very good. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and that, it, it reminds me of like when an artist that you like that makes music makes an album that they love, but everyone hates. Kid wow. Cudi did this. I wouldn't say everyone hated this, but Mac Miller kind of did this too when he kind of grew out of his like teenage rap phase. But it's like they don't have to appeal to the lowest common denominator anymore or even keep giving you the thing that got them there. Because they're at a point where now they can express themselves authentically. And you might not like what they're going to do with it. But I feel like I do that all the time. That's how I live my life. I express myself art- artistically first and foremost by doing things that I like. So I, when I see other people doing that, even if I'm like, this sucks, <laughs> I would at least applaud their uh, authenticity in doing something that they love. Okay, you know, I, that's fine, I guess. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which you don't even have to agree with me on. Uh, you know, overall, this movie is, is pretty simple, okay? It's about hot girls and cars. And a lot of the scenes take place in cars, and almost every scene has hot girls. We have Perfect. a lot of time to marinate in Tarantino's signature style, and the stunts, like I said, are an absolute adrenaline rush. It pays homage to an era of film that doesn't seem to have stood the test of time without doing much to subvert that genre. Tarantino even says it's his worst film, and I think I agree with him. 
But that doesn't mean that it's completely terrible. If you take it for what it is, a fun thrill ride with classic Tarantino traits thrown in there, then it can be a fun little ride, but probably not much more. Um, I want to read that quote from Tarantino that says, where he's talking about this movie. He says, Death Proof has got to be the worst movie I ever made. For a left-handed movie, that wasn't so bad, all right? So if that's the worst I get, I'm good. This was sort of in t- it, the context of this is that he was talking about how like a person's filmography defies like defines them and how uh, it, you know he never wants to put out like if he has like a bad movie that like sort of sinks the rest of it will sink the rest of his filmography and having you know stuff that's quality throughout he only wants to make stuff that's like out of a certain quality then he's good but I I I find this kind of uh, um self-aggrandizing in a way <laughs> you know definitely it's it's very like pretentious to be like this is my worst movie and it's not even that bad you know like i don't think you get to decide that actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely get where you're coming from but that's also just classic tarantino that's who he is yeah, you know? it's, it he is definitely true. thinks he's great <laughs> he definitely thinks he's great um for me I, I, this is like a weird low effort project. It feels like Tarantino is in the fridge looking for leftovers and combined a bunch of unfinished meals into something that resembled dinner. And it still has some of the Tarantino tropes and stylistic choices, but it doesn't have the scale of something like Kill Bill or Inglorious Bastards or the grip of something like Hateful Eight or Reservoir Dogs. It is missing something important. Now, I'm not even sure what it is missing exactly, but I think Stuntman Mike is a really fun slasher movie villain, but he's not developed enough for me to truly fear him. He kills because he's insane, sure. But I mean, you don't really have an idea of why he does what he does. Is it really his mother's car? What's with the book of names? As a concept, I think the stuntman that kills with his souped-up car is great, but uh, the backstory is is completely missing from this. Where's the lore? You know, why does he do what he does? Why don't we meet anybody that's like, oh, stuntman Mike used to be a legend, and then. You know, he had a horrible accident. He got that giant scar in his face and it drove him crazy. You know, that'd be fun. But sorry, none of that's available. Um, I like the plot of trying to get the challenger. It was this tiny, it was tiny, but ultimately there was like no stakes at play. Um, Jasper just let him take the car, but the movie ends before he gets it back. And then, you know, what happens to Lee too? It just kind of cuts off really abruptly. It's just such an un- incomplete story. There are so many different directions it could have expanded into. And Tarantino is great at giving you a glimpse into what seems like a wider world. And he's also great at messing with your expectations. Any expansion would be welcome, even if it was completely off the wall. Uh, the, in short, I think this movie just kind of really drags, despite it being kind of short. We get a, a whole sequence of Arlene and some dude talking about how they're going to make out in a car, text messages with Christian Simonson, who never even shows up on screen, walking <laughs> in and out of a convenience store. It's so mundane. Tarantino's dialogue is fun to listen to, but the subject matter and circumstance is so tame that it just bores. I like the relationship drama. I like the lake house stuff and the whole lap dance thing. That felt like it was going somewhere, and I liked that it was enriching our characters. But again, the setting, the atmosphere, it was all so low stakes, it's just really hard for me to care. And that's what this, where this movie is for me. I, as much as I like thinking about movies we watch for this podcast, I couldn't bring myself to spend more than 10 minutes concentrating on it. My own life was more interesting than this movie. I just found myself unable to bring myself to care about it, which is probably the worst thing I can say about a movie, that it's boring. It's not even bad in an interesting way. It's just sort of empty for the most part. Scathing. Absolutely scathing. scathing. <laughs> Put it in the hot water. Um, there's, one, there's an interesting aspect of this movie, and... I don't know if this is I don't know if this is gonna make any sense, but 
here's here's my here's my pet theory, which I could find no evidence that anyone else thought this, but I, this is I'm going I'm running with it. So Tarantino has gone on record saying that his movies fall into like this you know Tarantino verse, right? They're all stuck together. Isn't it, isn't this your favorite fictional universe according to Super Racket Bros? Yes, this was my <laughs> stated favorite fictional universe. I love it. Uh, so I my proposition is that uh, Death Proof straddles the line between fictional fiction and reality fiction they're like the the fiction the it's a movie movie at the beginning and then at the second and the second half it turns into real like reality within the uh tarantino verse right so at the beginning we see the title sequence right it says uh tarantino's thunderbolt and then that's immediately cut off like a couple frames later with death proof like the actual title which is supposed to be a, a um a, a callback to exploitation films and how sometimes they're renamed at the last minute and and all that and there's the film is like all degrading and there's all these like awkward jump cuts between scenes where like people like dialogue is skipped and everything and it looks like the whole thing is kind of falling apart but as soon as we get to the second half of the movie it turns to black and white and then it switches to color and i'm thinking that because stuntman mike is a stuntman like playing or a stuntman he can traverse Wes Craven style from um, like, you know, uh, the fictional universe into reality because he's like a movie character, but also like a movie like person, you know, like a person in movies. Like that? Yeah. So, I mean, he (laughs) came out of the film and then tried to continue doing the things he did in the film, but then it falls apart because it's not scripted. It just ends up you know, people react to it. I guess what's the difference? Uh, um, yeah, well, he's like, he's in the real world, I guess. And so he's like, you know, he finally meets his match in the real world. And, and Tarantino's real world is, of course, way more violent than the actual real world. Whereas, yeah, in, in, the, in his movie, in Thunderbolt, he is, of course, the successful slasher. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's more than man. He's something supernatural. And so his heart, he's impossible to kill interesting he like trans he's like he's like yeah he's like freddy krueger uh, where he like comes he, he comes out of your dreams and then i think it's in the fourth one he actually comes out of the movie and he like starts haunting the actual actors that is cool i like that idea and it would have been really cool i again that's another like kind of swing and a miss at this film i thought that the skips and the repeats and the damaged film were going to be something in the movie itself i didn't know anything about exploitation films going into this so i didn't know anything that it was referencing or what kind of homage it was trying to do but i feel like this could have been so much scarier than what we actually got definitely Uh, i I honestly think it is horrifying when a movie glitches and it makes you feel like something is deeply wrong it kind of (laughs) jumps out past the the screen into your real life because something is causing the movie itself to to glitch that uh, like freaks me out and if they they could have capitalized on that in this film to do both to do an homage but also to be like you know he maybe stuntman mike can mess with reality in this way yeah yeah maybe the fact that they're repeating themselves alludes to some sort of like time loop thing or uh you know the inevitability of stuntman mike getting you like if you do something he'll able he can go back and change the past i don't know something like that um you know i i thought that with tarantino at the helm something like that would be possible yes (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, did you do any research on like what kind of what he was going for here with like um, the grindhouse um, idea of it being a double feature? Yeah. With the grindhouse and planet terror playing back to back with death proof. And I heard that it was a horrendous rollout. Like nobody understood the concept. People would get up and try to leave after planet terror ended. And they're like, what? I have to stay for another movie. And it just didn't. Again, it was like a, um, they were calling back to an era that nobody remembered or liked. Yeah. Sort of like Stuntman Mike was. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I read a little bit about that and about how this was meant to be like a slasher film, but with Tarantino's style and how he was trying to subvert the genre in a big way, right? He was trying to, uh, he, he wanted to make a slasher movie, but he didn't want to follow the same rules that all slasher movies follow. Um, which like, I understand that instinct, but ultimately I think that's the wrong way to go. You know, I think that ultimately this, like any genre of movie, you know, will have rules for you to follow. And those rules are largely because they've seen success in the past, but you can see a lot of creativity uh, from those genres in the same, like, you know, even if they're not what you might consider a typical, like, thing from that, from that genre, if that makes sense, right? There's a lot of flexibility within the genre of film. And I think adhering to those rules is the same thing as having any sort of creative constraint. It allows you to sort of expand outward as much as possible while still having this kind of uh, coherent thing in the center, right? If he had followed a, a more traditional three-act structure and, or, or, or done something a little bit more wacky, right, that would have made this movie way better, way more interesting. But for it to simply be a movie that's just like the movies he's trying to like, emulate doesn't really give us anything, you know? If that's the case, then why not watch one of those, right? Why, why bring this back up here? and not do anything more with it why not make something more from it you know why not put something more interesting into it i just feel like the stakes and the um the tension that is largely at play in slasher movies is completely missing from this you know and although i do think that you know the stunts are certainly give you a lot to you know sit and make you sit in the edge of your seat that's not that's not uh what it, uh, like that's not enough you know what i mean you need the plot to have to make the stunts matter you need right. to have you need to make sure that people care that like that spider-man is punching a different <laughs> spider-man you know what i mean right like right that, if you don't if you don't have that then no one cares about that a lot of my appreciation for the stunts comes from more of like a technical appreciation as opposed for the, uh or opposed to the actual stunt right, which is, in the story itself which is missing like that's not what a movie is, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's that's a really cool stunt that somebody did. You know, I watched this incredible video of a person riding a like a a BMX bike through like down these like through a city. I think it was in like Barcelona or something. And they also had a video of somebody d- doing the drone footage like right behind him. Amazing! It was, it was such an amazing thing to watch. I watched it like three or four times. Right, this is ten minute like thing of this guy going through there. Incredible stunts and stuff. That's not a movie, though. You know, like who, you're like, watching. I don't it's care. Like, Damn, this is just like Death Proof. <laughs> exactly. Like that's not that's not what this is supposed to be. You know, they're supposed to the stunts are supposed to be seamless. You know, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to think about them as stunts unless they're like really transcendent. You know what I mean? Now, this is something that I feel like John Wick 
like sort of toes the line on a lot of right. The whole movie is sort of an, like a celebration of stunt work and also a um, just sort of a uh, exploration or like a like them them bragging and showing off like look what we can do, look what we can make Keanu Reeves do, you know. But there was also a story along with it. I cared if Keanu Reeves was killed, you know. I cared that he was in the Arctic Triumph and he was punching guys and and all that, right? And and that uh, you know he didn't shoot the dog or whatever, right? All of that's like tied into the story that makes me like love the movie. Whereas this is just missing the whole aspect of like why we sit down to watch something in a theater, you know, instead of us caring about the events of the movie, we're just like, wow, Zoe Bell's a very talented actress, <laughs> <or a stunt laughs> woman, you know? Yeah. I think it's almost like Tarantino kind of thought himself out of writing a good movie like he's he's like trying to think so outside the box that he forgot to still make the movie good it's uh very charlie coffin an adaptation of him we needed donald sure. to come in and save the script uh and unfortunately and the, it, he was even in this movie <laughs> tarantino wrote himself into this movie that's true this is very and, and said, of him. wow this is a tasty beverage <laughs> like like such an asshole <laughs> uh, uh, yeah that's pretty good um, okay, well, I think we're ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. So, Joey, what have you got? Um, apparently, there are seven different versions of this movie. Yeah, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. There are seven different versions of this movie. Um, uh, I'll read out the run times. So, and uh, I, I don't know what this means. I honestly, I don't know what this means. Um, there's a uh, two hour and seven minute uh, version. Um, a hundred and thirteen version version which i guess was released in japan there was a 154 one hour and 54 minute version that was released internationally i guess not in japan there's an hour and 27 grindhouse version there's a two hour one minute extended version there's a two hour seven minute original version and a one hour 53 uh, minute version which is the one that's available on youtube i like how if you extend the original it becomes shorter <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently he did a lot of like, he left a lot on the cutting room floor. Like he was really trying to trim this down, which I think is for the grindhouse version of this movie, because this, the, you know, an hour and 53 minutes, if the original was only, you know, 14 minutes longer than that, I don't really feel like there was anything that major that was cut out, you know? So yeah. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, isn't this the movie from CinemaSins? Um, the, does not contain a lap dance? Oh, (laughs) is that, is that a thing? contain a lap dance movie yes we've talked about uh cinema sins a long time ago you, do you remember that episode oh of course i remember that episode um yeah cinema sins i'm sure everyone knows about on their youtube channel that, that talks about movies um and uh they have this famous bit that they've been doing for years i don't know if they still do it i haven't watched any of their videos in a long time but uh whenever uh there was like any sort of sexual tension between characters. And sometimes even when there wasn't, uh, the narrator, Jeremy would say, scene does not contain a lap dance. And then he would, you know, press the bell. Um, and this was apparently a reference to this movie because there was a trailer that showed Arlene giving a lap dance. And then when he saw it in theaters, which I guess was the grindhouse version or maybe some other version, it did not contain, there was no lap dance in the movie. It like cut across that. And he was extremely disappointed as anyone who's ever watched a trailer that has a, a lead scene in it knows. <laughs> um, and so this was like a, a running gag for a long time. But of course the version that we watched did have a lap dance in it. 
So. Yes, it, I couldn't see. I didn't find any other options when I was looking. I was like, "Well, what if I could find the shortest version?" And <laughs> I couldn't. I could only find well, the YouTube. You know, you know what's you know what's actually amazing about this podcast, Benjamin? What we haven't accidentally watched the wrong movie. <laughs> like you and I haven't come in watching a different movie. You know, that's, <laughs> that's never happened. True. That is true. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk to each other about the movies until we're here, right? Uh, which is probably evident. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I have a couple uh, Easter eggs for you. So, after Zoe Bell was cast, Quentin Tarantino told Bell that he would hire a second stunt person to take Bell's place in the stunt scenes where her face wasn't visible. Bell insisted on performing every stunt herself, saying if someone else was cast in her role and she was only performing the stunts, those were the stunts she would do. And Tarantino honored her request. I think it's, you know, it's cool. Again, this movie clearly is a tip of the hat to stunt people everywhere uh you know deranged stunt people everywhere and and, well it's just funny that he's like i'm gonna hire one of the best stunt women in the world i'm so impressed with her stunts but i'm not gonna have her do any stunts in my movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um so i do think that that's cool that she just literally plays herself um, yes that is i do think that's cool that, that's that's neat and then a cl- like very much a easter egg here Kurt Russell can be seen eating in the background uh, throughout the diner scene in the second half of the film when all the girls are, you know, sitting talking about the ditch that Abernathy almost fell in. He's sitting at the counter and like looks back at them when the camera looks at him, which I didn't even notice until I saw this on IMDb and then I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, there he is. He was watching them. He's so creepy. (laughs) Which, again, would have been way cooler if there was some sort of payoff to him being there. But the only <laughs> thing that's cool about it is you're like, oh, he's there. It doesn't build out towards something where he like said, quoted them or said something from when they were in the diner or some, something like that. So, anyways, I think I've gotten, I've gotten it all in my system, all, all the opportunities this movie missed out on. <laughs> so, I'm going to okay. leave it there. Uh, um, okay. is there. Do you have anything else, Joey? I have nothing else. Okay. Well, I think then it's time to move on and complete our analysis. And as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we'll now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Death Proof? I give this movie a long, lonely drive between Austin, Texas to Lebanon, Tennessee. (laughs) Okay. It's a nice, serene, peaceful drive. Sure. By yourself. But, you know, just thinking about all the people you've murdered <laughs> and who you've yet to murder that's um, right i give this movie a seat belt for the passenger seat let's make this car death proof for everyone <laughs> i love that uh there you go what a short review for us death proof uh by quentin tarantino joey what's next on affable chat Next, we are doing the South Park movie, or at least you are doing the South Park movie. That's right. With your good friend, Coos. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen the South Park movie, so this is going to be an adventure going back to what I remember as being a surprisingly good musical. Uh, I think people sometimes raise their eyebrows when they hear that the South Park movie and is Matt and Trey can write music. Yeah, they're great. Uh, Book of Mormon and all that. So that's what's coming up. 
You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Afflechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, this podcast is death proof. Uh, if you're listening to it right now, <laughs> you're safe from any sort of danger. Uh, feel free to crash into anything. <laughs> when I said this podcast was death proof, uh, <laughs> you, you really want to be listening to it with my headphones. <laughs> Uh, that's going to do it. I don't even know if that makes any sense. This, <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> Raffle Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.